Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. 2022, a banner year for workers. A message from Liz Schuler of the AFL-CIO. And today on the show, the latest from the South Nevada Building Trades and the organization Good Jobs First. Welcome to the Friday, December 30th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. Our first guest comes from the state of Nevada. Vince Savadra will be joining us. He is the executive secretary treasurer of the Southern Nevada Building Trades Union's website, snbtu.org. Vince joined the Ironworkers. This would be Local 416 in the year 2000. Worked his way up from apprentice to journeyman later being elected to business agent. That was in 2016, and then the district council in 2018. His ties to the ironworkers are pretty deep. All of his brothers are also in the trade, and his dad joined the local back in 1979 after immigrating from Mexico. Vince is also the founding president of the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement, which is a nonprofit that organizes community events with over 10 labor organizations in southern Nevada. He's also very proud, he's going to talk about this on the show, to be the first Latino executive secretary treasurer of the southern Nevada building trades. And obviously, he's proud to be an iron worker. That's where he came from. So he'll talk about the uh, importance of community workforce agreements. That's a big issue in Nevada. And we'll talk about the growth in the area, and we'll touch on politics as well. We always got to touch on that. Greg Leroy will be joining us later in the show. He's uh, no stranger to America's workforce. Love what he does. Do check out his uh, website, goodjobsfirst.org. And uh, Greg has been involved in uncovering where our tax dollars have been going. He started this back in the late 90s, and he'll talk briefly about this. And since its first report in 1999, Good Jobs First has issued more than 120 studies setting a long string of influential research precedents about economic subsidies. And I want to tell you, 2022, as uh, Greg puts it, was a mega year for mega deals. According to their analysis, there were eight economic development deals in which companies received at least, at least $1 billion in subsidies for a single facility, for a single facility. We're going to run down the various companies, mega deals. It's a billion-dollar subsidy club. They're using our tax dollars to build plants. And, it, you know, I understand jobs are being created, but when you do the math... Some of these jobs are costing $750,000. I mean, that's what they're paying. Taxpayers are paying that amount of money to create that kind of job. Have we gone too far? Well, that's for uh, leaders to decide down the road. So Greg Leroy will be joining us 
as our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Well, I'll tell you, this year has been a banner year for workers. Got a message here from uh, Liz Schuler, who is president of the AFL-CIO, and she talks about all the great policy that came out of Washington, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips and Science Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. She also pointed out that the uh, AFL-CIO started work on their new Center for Transformational Organizing to support the surge of worker organizing around the country. They launched the Sports Council. They brought in the Major League Baseball Players Association into the uh, Labor Federation. And uh, as far as organizing, listen to these numbers. More than 43,000 workers across the country organized their workplaces this year. And those results are getting noticed. A record 71% of Americans now approve labor unions, which is up from 64% before the pandemic. Liz says people are seeing firsthand how the power of a union job can change our lives and our communities. And they want to be part of this movement. It's something that inspires us every single day. In this holiday season, we simply want to share how grateful we are and how moved by the solidarity we've seen this year. It's a historic time for unions, and we will not miss this chance to make jobs better for every single worker in this country. And we're just getting started. Liz Schuler, AFL-CIO. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the Executive Secretary-Treasurer of the Southern Nevada Building Trades. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, Southern Nevada. And just outside Las Vegas, Vince Saveda is joining us today. He's Executive Secretary-Treasurer of the Southern Nevada Building Trades Unions. Website, real simple, snbtu.org. Vince, join the ironworkers. That would be a Local 416. Back in 2000, worked his way up from apprentice to journeyman, later being elected to business agent in 2016 and then the district council in uh, 2018 and we're going to talk about all that and more right here on america's workforce vince welcome to america's Workforce. did i pronounce your name correctly sir you did you did thank you 
Good, 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 good. Um, I want to talk about getting involved in the trades. I, I often, especially newcomers to the show, and we have plenty, I'd like to know that career path story on, uh, first of all, why did you choose the Ironworkers? There's a lot of, uh, a lot of trades out there. I'll tell you, that's, that's a tough job, and I know it all too well because, not that I'm an Ironworker, but I record the show at Ironworkers Local 17, and I see these guys coming and going every day, and I'll tell you, that, that's rugged work, and you got to appreciate what, you've, what you folks do. So talk to me about your... Uh, you're uh, rise up the ladder. Go ahead, Vince. No, yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, my father was a, an iron worker at a local 416 and uncles and cousins. I got a long history there at the at local in Los Angeles. Um, I, I just always knew that I was going to be an iron worker, wanting to follow in my father's footsteps. And, you know, whether any of the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and we have all my family around and just hearing the, the, the prideful stories about, you know, the the work they do, the work they put in, the structures, driving through downtown L.A., uh, having having my, my dad point out the buildings, he, you know, like every blue-collar father does, um, you know, po- pointing out the buildings. Uh, hey, son, you know, I worked on that. I did this. This was my first project that I worked on. That was the, the latest one I worked on. And just seeing that the pride that comes with being a union iron worker, you know, and I, I there, there was a comment that he made once was like he was talking about, you know, how many people can't handle, I could, so for, local 416 is, is a reinforcing um, local and all they do is, is reinforcing ironwork. And so the, the comment that he made once was like, you know, uh, 90% of people can't do what, what I do, son. And, and I took pride in that. I almost took that as a challenge as a child, right? So I always knew that that, that, that was going to be the, the career pathway for me. Um, in high school, you know, teachers would be like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I was like, well, I'm going to be an iron worker, you know. And I was the only one who, who in my town that chose a blue-collar career at a young age. And I just knew that that's what I was going to do and that's what I wanted to be, just following my father's footsteps. Yeah, yeah. When you got into it, uh, maybe you can go back to that time in your life. How difficult was it? And, uh, I mean, there, there probably was some times you're scratching your head wondering, how the heck did my dad do this kind of work? Did that ever cross your mind? Every day. Uh, every day, actually. The, the, every day I'd, I'd wake up and I'd say, okay, today's the day that I'm going to throw my – I'm going to be dramatic, throw my tools on the floor, and tell my dad that I'm done. I'm going home, right? It, it, it was hard. My dad was harder on me than anyone else on the crew. Um, everyone loved my father. He, he, he was the big jokester, good guy to work for. Everybody, you know, people wanted to be on his crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, he treated me like, you know, and I never understood why. Um, and and, and I, I would think to think back to myself, like, man, why, why does he treat me this way? Why does he, he was trying to break me. He, he wanted me to quit. And he told me, I knew that if you didn't quit, that, there was nothing that anybody could do to make you quit after that. Right. Like he, he was just building a callus on, on my feelings and, and, uh, and just, just on me as a person. Um, and, and you know, we, we, we talk now and I can't thank him enough for doing that, but yeah, every, yeah. every day I, I, I thought about quitting every day for the first like six months, you know, and, and one time I, I got the guts and I, I stood up and I, he was yelling at me and I took off my belt and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Put your belt back on. And I realized I didn't have the, the guts I thought I had. I put it back on and went straight back to work, you know? Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. But I, I'm, glad he, I'm glad he was hard on me. I'm glad, I'm glad he did what he did because, like I said, there's, there's not one thing anybody could say or do to me that's going to 
hurt my feelings or make me feel bad about myself because yeah. when you have your father telling you these things, it's, you know, undestructible. That's great. That. That's a great story. I'm so glad that you mm-hmm. uh, shared it with me and our listeners. You know, it just takes me back because uh, my dad was a steel worker. And uh, he worked in the shipping department with the with the aluminum and also the steel coils. And in the summertime, they put the blast furnaces on so the steel wouldn't rust. And they wanted mm-hmm. to get it out of there as soon as possible for shipping purposes. And uh, I was there. I worked two summers. That second summer, I said, Dad, I don't know how the hell you were able to work here for 42 years. And I told the guys over there, I said, you know what? My dream is to get into radio. And they kind of laughed at me. And I said, well, you watch, watch me. I'm, I'm not coming back here. <laughs> and luckily, yeah. luckily, I did get a job and uh, started my career. And I'm very blessed for that career. But, uh, but I tell you, that's hard work. It's really, really hard work. So you, you, you got... Uh, up the ladder here, you became, uh, as I indicated, you, uh, let's see, became apprentice, journeyman, elected business agent in 2016, district council 2018. And what's pretty significant here, you're, um, you're also the first Latino executive secretary treasurer of the Southern Nevada building trades. And I think that's pretty significant. And I know, I tell you, I know the Latinos played a big role in the, uh, in the midterm elections. And we, we could speak to that yeah. too, but now, talk to me about that part. It was that, uh, was that uh, there had to be some pitfalls because of your nationality. I'm, I'm just wondering, can you share anything with us, Vince? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, when it comes to being the executive secretary treasurer here at the Southern Nevada Building Trade, I, I really didn't realize that somebody brought it to my attention, like, hey, you know, you're, you're going to be the first Latino elected if you win this election. And I didn't really take notice of that. I was just kind of like, okay, like that's that's, an, that's interesting. Um, I did, didn't really put a lot of thought into it. I just I just wanted to win my election. I just wanted to, to do a good job. If I got elected, I was thinking, you know, what is it going to look like for uh, the transitional viewpoint of it like what could i do and it kept getting brought up and pushed and um so you know after i won uh the nevada hispanic legislative caucus and a couple other friends uh, of mine local community leaders they threw me a cocktail reception like you know to celebrate being the first local uh the first latino elected and and, you know i would sit there and, and think like you know why is this a big deal right and and somebody asked me like how do you feel and i was like man i feel like i just want to get to work you know like i know that i didn't get elected because the color of my skin i i I know that i got elected because of my work ethic and and you know what what i can provide and what i can bring to the building trades and and its affiliates and somebody said well you know you should put a little bit more thought because there's people watching that you might not understand you know people are looking up to you and and i i didn't realize that right so because I was the first his, uh, Latino elected to this position, the county commissioners gave me a proclamation, which is great. Me, you know, Clark County, I, I loved it. I was happy for it. And my assistant invited a couple of people around. I was like, hey, man, see if some of the boys want to come. So he invited some of the affiliates. They had people show up. And I had one gentleman reach out to me. I, I, we all went to lunch after after the, you know, proclamation uh, presentation. And one gentleman never met in my life told me, Hey man, you know, Vince, I, I know you don't know me. And this is kind of weird, you know, two guys talking. He's like, I don't want to sound weird. He's like, but you know, I've been watching you on social media. I've been following your career. And I just want to tell you what an inspiration you are to me. And, and, and you give me hope and a lot of the brothers hope. And he comes from a completely different craft, you know, different, or, different union. And that's when it hit me that like, you know, 
I should embrace it. I, I should push for it because, yeah, pe- people are right. Like, I, I don't realize, you know, who, who's watching. In, in today's world of social media, you don't know who's following you, who's watching you, who's keeping eyes on you. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, that, that humbled me and, and made me want to do a better job and, and just embrace the fact that, you know, because, you know, in the iron workers, that, that sort of thing really doesn't play a role. It's just can you put the weight in, right? Can, can you can you put in your ton of rebar a day? Like that's what matters. Doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. But you know, at, like you said, when you're moving up the ladder, you have to take all things into consideration. Sure. And knowing, you know, having that conversation with that gentleman just just it humbled me, and it, 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 I took a lot of pride in knowing that, you know, being the first is a big deal, and and that I should take pride in that, and and you know, let people know. So yeah. It's funny you bring that up about the iron workers. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. They don't care who you are, what color you are. It doesn't matter. No. Just get the work done. Show up on time and get the work done. That's pretty much it, isn't it? That is it. That, and, and that's all it is. And so being, and I feel like all things I've done in my iron work career from apprentice, journeyman, foreman, general foreman, being the agent, working for the district council, all things have led me all those roads led me to where I'm at now. Um, they, they prepared me for this job. It's, it's kind of like how I feel, you know, um, mm-hmm. I wish I could say like, Oh, you know, I had to overcome diversity. I had to do this and that. No, like be, being part of the iron workers, you just keep your head down and work and you get the job done. That's it. Then, you That's know, you, you show up tomorrow, you get your ass kicked, you come back tomorrow for more, <laughs> like, the, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and if you could do that with me, I don't care about your political point of view, your religion, your race, sexual orientation none of that matters can you put the weight in can you do the job that's all we care about you know can you keep yeah. up with me like at the end of the day really that's what, can you keep up with me because i'm going to try to outwork you you're going to try to outwork me and we're, and we're all dogs here you know we're yeah. all dogs yeah. and, and 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 so bringing that mentality here you know and and even in the political world i, I feel like there's there's not a lot of people like me in the political world you know where where you bring that like oh you know this guy said this or this guy did that I don't care. Look, I'm on a mission. This is my job. This is what I need to do, and I'm going to get it done. Everything yeah. else is irrelevant to me. There you go. That's a good attitude. Uh, when it comes to Latinos in the the south, uh, the southern Nevada building trades that that area, um, what what's the makeup? Do you have any data on that as far as how many uh, the mix of of folks that that are part of that group? I, I, I would say that the minority is the majority in the construction industry in southern Nevada. Um, as far as percentage wise goes, uh, off the top of my head, I, I don't have a solid number, but I, I do know that what, what's considered the, um, minority, we are the majority in the construction industry. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, what about females? Because I know there's a push from, from NAB the national association of building trades to get more females and, you know, people of color. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. They, they, there's a lot of opportunities out there. They want to grab everybody, but how's that faring over there in that area? No, it, it, you know, I, I, I believe that that those statistics are 3%. Um, I think we have 3% uh, women in, in construction building trades. Um, we just had the uh, women's build nations conference here in Southern Nevada, which I was, I was proud to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like nothing I've ever experienced before. It, it, it was great to see, you know, the sisters and, and all here representing. Um, so talking with them, you know, with them and, and I was able to speak at a couple conference, uh, you know, side conferences and things. And I would ask like, you know, what was your biggest diversity to overcome? It's, it's hard enough to c- recruit women to come into blue collar position. And 
I, you know, I, I wanted to find out why. Why is that? Why is it hard to not only recruit, but once you're here, why is it hard to, to stay here? Is it harassment? Is it, you know, your spouse telling you, you know, you're taking too much time away from the family? Like, I, I don't know what it is, right? Um, so, so I was asking, and, and what, what I found out was that childcare was a big thing. Yep. Um, so, so what, either they decide to be mothers and they leave because, you know, they, they want to take care of the family and they, it's too expensive to provide childcare to come back. Or if they already have a family, you know, construction workers, we start early in the morning, especially here in Southern Nevada because of the heat. Uh, so is there a daycare that's open at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning? And I'm sure if there is, what, what is the cost for that? Right. Right. So it makes it difficult to keep them in, in the trade. So uh, believe it or not, uh, I'm in conversations right now with running a piece of legislation to provide childcare for all state certified uh, apprentices, state registered apprentices. Um, if it, is it going to pass? I don't know. Right. That's to be determined. Um, yeah. But it, it's definitely something that, that I want to show and, and, and like, hey, we, we, we we're encouraging. I, I gave a speech at, at a at a at a small dinner, and I made a comment. You know, unionism right now. I think it's it's on the up, um, but I think a lot of that has to do with with women joining the trades. Um, people who have to overcome diversity, like women in the trades, they're the ones who are not afraid to speak up. Um, generational union members traditionally take for granted what we have. And so when we get, you know, women in the trades, they have to overcome diversity and they're not afraid to fight for what they have and, and what they're going to get. And, and I feel like that women in the trade is what's going to push, push us over the edge and, and, and re-strengthen unionism in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as far as minority goes, uh, here in Southern Nevada, I'm working – They've been around. It's it's not nothing new, but it's new to Southern Nevada. And and being the first elected Latino, I feel like people are listening a little bit more, um, trying to push community workforce agreements. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, what it's like, hey, you know, if you, if you if we're building in an underserved community or a poverty community, we should be hiring people from that community, right? A certain percentage of the of the work hours uh, on that project should be from people in that community. Right, uh, and, and we should provide them a pathway into apprenticeships. So, you know, that's something else we're working on here. You know what? I want to talk more about that, but I have to take a quick break here. Vince Saavedra joining us on our live line, and I can see why you're executive secretary treasurer. You got uh, you definitely got some some uh, gray matter working up in that brain of yours, and you're thinking ahead. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, S N B T U. Dot org is their website. We'll be back right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. 
Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings. We're getting more of those. Also, if you like a show, share that show. Just go to awfpodcast.com and say, hey, I like what Flash said on the show I like what this uh, gentleman said from the building trades or this politician, whatever the case may be. If you like it, share it, and we could grow our audience, and that's what it's all about. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Vince Saavedra. Vince is Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Southern Nevada Building Trades Unions. They have about 2,500 members. Vince, uh, I want to talk to you. Well, I want to get into those community workforce agreements, but uh, the workload, and I know uh, Nevada, especially in the Vegas area, I mean, Talk about some union activity there. Holy smoke. I mean, for a long time, long time uh, history there in Las Vegas. But what are we looking at here? There's a lot of good policies, as you well know, coming out of Washington. I mean, you got the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, CHIPS. I mean, you name it, inflation reduction. I'm wondering, uh, are you seeing any any results of that? Or it might be a little bit too early, but what's, what's the scenario if you could paint a picture for the environment there right now. No. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was blessed to, uh, ask to be, go, uh, to got an invitation to go to the white house and, uh, and have a conversation about, you know, the, the infrastructure dollars, where they should be spent, the uh, inflation reduction act, you know, with all the EV work coming up and, and, um, it's looking good. I mean, I mean, right now in, in Southern Nevada, we have, uh, we have a, 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 a lot of highway improvement projects going. I was mm-hmm. told that some of them are from the uh, infrastructure do- dollars. Um, we were blessed to have a, a great pro-union, uh, believe it or not, um, uh, uh, Zach Conine, he, he's, uh, he's our state treasurer, and, and he created the State Infrastructure Bank. And basically, it's, uh, uh, there's a certain percentage of dollars that come from, from the infrastructure um, funds they come to Nevada. Uh, he's gonna—I I believe it's thirty percent. I don't want to speak out of town. I can't remember right off the top of my head. S- certain percentage of dollars that go into the state infrastructure bank, and then if you pull out of the straight state infrastructure bank to have a project, uh, he put PLA requirements on it. So we'll have project labor agreements on on any money that's used out, out of the uh, state infrastructure bank, which is huge for us. Um, so the work that's coming, and there's a lot of it. Uh, it, it, it it's. I feel positive and, and, and very optimistic that a lot of that work is going to go union. Good, good, good. Apprenticeship programs in the area looking pretty good right now to prepare for the, that, that future work? 
looking solid. We we have monthly meetings with our with all of the um, JATCs um, preparing. We, I, I'm meeting with all the community. And when I say community, I mean like the airport, Southern Nevada Water Authority, transportation, you know, uh, Department of Transportation. Um, and, and we try to get uh, projections of work of what that looks like to make sure that uh, our apprenticeships are, are ready to go, you know, um, and, and that we could, we could man the project. And, the, and the, the best thing about living in Southern Nevada, specifically Las Vegas, is that we've never had a shortage of workers here ever. Everybody wants to come to Vegas. Everybody wants to work in Vegas. We build monuments here. Uh, you take a look, <laughs> our, our, our skyline is, is one of the best in the country. You know, like you look at the, the Raider stadium, we're building the, uh, the Madison Square Garden, right? Uh, the sphere. Uh-huh. Th- these are things that pe- people want to work on. Every- everybody wants to say, "Hey, I worked on that project." Uh, uh, so um, it- it's it's never hard to to fill positions here. But as far as apprenticeship goes, we're looking we're looking we're looking good. Yeah. Well, I like that. That's one thing about Vegas. I mean, it's union built and union run. When you think about the culinary Correct. workers there, I mean, they're all they're all making it happen, and that's what you want. That's exactly what you want. Uh, I want to get back into the uh, community workforce agreements, which we touched on in the first segment. So it, it sounds to me that you are like one hundred percent behind that. And maybe if you can explain to our our listening audience here, how, how those actually work and how they can actually make things better. Can you, can you handle that? Absolutely. Yeah. So if there is right now, I'm looking at uh, prevailing wage jobs. So anything with public money in it, Mm -hmm. um, if, if there's, if if there's public money in a project and it's a prevailing wage project, it's not going to cost any more money to, to have it go union. Why? Because the union set the prevailing wage rate. Um, and if, if there's a community that's underserved and there's happens to be a, f- a freeway going through that community, or we're building a new school in that community, um, any, like, again, again, any, any, um, anything with public money in it or anything that, that has money from the state infrastructure bank or opera funds, um, affordable housing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what I'm proposing is 30% of the work hours come from people that live in that underserved community. And so when people ask me, well, why not minorities? Why not this and that? Because not all underserved communities are minority and, 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 and we need to open it up, right? Like to everybody, everybody deserves to join an apprenticeship, um, whether you're minority, non-minority. Um, and, and we need to give people, in poverty, a pathway into apprenticeships so that that way we could have generational change. That to me, that's, that's the big accomplishment is to change someone's life by giving them a career, right? It's the old saying, you could give somebody fish and feed them for a day or teach them how to fish and feed them for life. Right. And, and that's the logic that, I, that I'm trying to give with the community workforce agreement. So basically if you live in this community, even if we're building something not in that community, what's the next closest underserved community to that project, right? Um, and we take 30% of the, the, the work hours ha- have to come from people in those communities. And out of that 30%, I, I, I would like to hit like 8% has to be first year apprentices. That way we're driving the demand 
for new apprentices and we're and we're driving the demand to give people the opportunity to join a, a construction union trade that's a great formula i like that a lot and it, you know yeah. the thing about a trade too and i've said this so many times on the show that's something you can't outsource you know you learn that trade you have that trade for life whether it's going to be in las vegas whether it's going to be in New York, Chicago, you name it. It doesn't matter. You can take that with Absolutely. you no matter where you go, and that's the important thing, so important. And with that being said, I mean, once you turn out, right, so we, 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 we've done studies here in Southern Nevada uh, with the UNLV, uh, the, uh, the econ department here in UNLV. It takes, it takes a first-year apprentice, a, first, a first-time apprentice, six months to bring a family of four out of, out of poverty. So, I, I mean, just think about that for a second, right? If, if, if you're in poverty and it's you, your spouse, and two kids, and you're, you're in poverty by definition what poverty is, you could come out of poverty in six months as a first-year apprentice. It's amazing. I don't understand how any elected official would not want to have community workforce agreements on any public works project it doesn't like i said again it's, it's not costing any any extra money it, it's not it, it it doesn't hurt you know no, it, it just doesn't no. make sense why somebody wouldn't want that and we're uplifting and, communities out of poverty and not only that think about this vince i mean you're, you're helping you're helping the taxpayers because when people mm-hmm. live in poverty they're usually living on government assistance so you're you know, you're taking them out of that that vein and and giving them a career. Well, I mean, you got to work for and, it, but you're correct. you're, you're, you're sustaining and, and your crime family. Crime goes down. Correct. You, crime goes down in the area. There's a lot because why people commit crimes out of necessity. You know, out of, they have to, right? Uh, yeah. th- there, there's a saying. I never com- committed a crime. I, I didn't have to, right? Like 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 people do things. And, and being a blue collar worker, like you know, we're rough around the edges, you know, and and. It's 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 sad and it hurts to to see these communities hurting, and so I want to do everything I can to give them pathways out out of that. Right, a lot of these people don't want to do these things; they do, but they do them because they have to provide for their family, they have to feed their family, and if we yeah. provide them jobs and job opportunities, they don't have to do these things. Mm-hmm. All right, we got a couple of minutes left here, Vince. I want to touch briefly on the midterms and uh, the results of the midterms, what you see ahead as as a result of those midterms, because, you know, elections matter. I say that on the show all the time. Yeah. What's what's the future like uh, look there, especially with the political environment? Southern Nevada, we look good, right? We lost, we lost a couple. We lost a couple key positions. Our governor lost. He was probably the most pro-union governor the state of Nevada has ever had. Um, I, the new governor elect, um, I, I think he's going to work well with us. We have a super majority in the, in the state assembly, um, the state Senate, we have the majority. Uh, we, we, we did everything we could to get Catherine Cortez Masto, uh, Senator Masto reelected, which, which really helped, you know, all of us. Um, we're looking solid. I, I think, I think even with the couple of positions we lost, I think organized labor looks looks good. I think we're going to be okay um, coming up no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Well, overall in the country, there certainly was not a red wave as many had predicted. So 
That's a, that's a good one to end on. Vince Saveda joining us on our live line today, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Southern Nevada Building Trades Unions, about 2,500 members also. Very proud to serve as the first Latino Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Southern Nevada Building Trades. Well, I'll tell you, I enjoyed the conversation with you. Let's, uh, let's do this down the road, and, uh, I, and I appreciate that, what you said, what you brought to the table today about making a difference, especially reaching out to those underserved communities. We've got to continue that, not just in uh, southern Nevada. We've got to do that in all of America. So you take care, my brother, okay? You too. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up next, Greg Leroy on behalf of the organization Good Jobs First, 2022, a mega year for mega deals. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Washington, D.C. right now and join someone who has been on the show many, many times. His name is uh, Greg Leroy. He started an organization back in the 90s called Good Jobs First. Website's real simple, goodjobsfirst.org. And they just came out with a report on the mega year for mega deals and a lot of these industries today are going to taxpayers and saying you want jobs well you better give us a tax break and that's essentially what we're going to talk about on the show today greg Leroy, how are we doing today my brother just great flash great to be with you seasons greetings happy happy 2023 ahead of time yeah 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 thank you for joining us uh yeah this is the <laughs> uh the last broadcast for uh 2022 and greg it's hard to believe um i'll be hosting this show 25 years in oh my uh, goodness in in uh july august i think it was july or i can't remember it was in 1998 when i started uh full-time well, doing the show and the show it sounds is like we're on the same schedule we'll turn 25 in mid-july ourselves there you go there you go and we've had uh, greg on the show many many times you know what we always get especially since we started podcasting two and a half years ago we're always getting uh, new people listening to the show why don't you uh, familiarize good jobs first uh to our listeners and what and it's kind of funny too the story is because you kind of fell into it didn't you 
it's my accidental career. So from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, from Chicago, I created a nonprofit consulting practice to try to help people prevent plant closings, you know, factory shutdowns. It's when Bluestone and Harrison's book, The Deindustrialization of America, was coming out. The term Rust Belt was getting coined. You know, NAFTA hadn't even been passed yet, and we were already having massive plant closings in the industrial heartland. And um, I noticed that a lot of the factories that were closing had gotten tax breaks and incentives and training grants and enterprise zones and revenue bonds. And we're like, hey, what's that about? All this public money is now being they're literally running away with the money that was supposed to create jobs and, and save jobs. And so we staged a lot of fights about that. We, we actually stopped the big plant closing in, in uh, Minnesota. We, we won some court settlements in a few other cases. Mostly we just ended up wailing for better severance and, and you know, consciousness raising. And, and, we, and we helped pass the WARN Act, the, the federal law that says you have to give 60 days notice before mass close, you know, layoff or plant closing. That was absolutely mm-hmm. a part of all those union agitations in those years. Um, sure. And then I, I wrote a book and said, you know, there's a lot of reforms going on. There's a lot of new clawbacks and disclosure rules and non-piracy rules coming up. Let's put those together. And and uh, but I was like, take my issue, please. I'm going to go do something else now. But but it backfired. <laughs> and so I started Good Jobs First in 98 because there was really a, a demand for more work in that space. So essentially what you're doing, you're arming people with information. You're, you're telling them mm-hmm. where their tax dollars are going, and that's obviously you know, raising some eyebrows here. So let's, let's fast forward to, uh, to what happened this year with, this, with all these mega deals. And we, we have to point out, we're talking, we're talking about some very rich corporations here that I don't oh. think they really need all that money, do they? No. Look, I mean, so when we say mega deals, we mean we mean an individual project, an individual single facility getting $50 million or more. And, and in the cases of eight of these deals we just spotlighted, it's more than $1 billion. Five of them are more than $1.5 billion for an individual facility. Computer chips, electric cars, electric batteries, steel mills. Uh, no, these are some of the biggest household name corporations on the planet and, and uh, valued at gazillions of dollars on the stock market, um, profitable, and and taking huge amounts of public money. Greg, I'm looking at the list here, and you have uh, eight companies that received subsidy packages worth over a billion dollars this year, and it's amazing. And some of these companies, very, very well-known companies here. For one, uh, Micron Technology, there's Intel, there's a Hyundai Motor Group, General Motors, Nucor, which is a steel mill based in uh, West Virginia, Rivian out of Georgia. I know they're involved in uh, electric vehicle production. Here's a name with a history, Panasonic. I mean, they go back a long time and they got uh, they got let's see 1,274,000. Uh I'm just wondering here. I mean, this is a record year, a record year here. How are they able to squeeze that amount of money. I, I know we're dealing with inflation, okay? I, right, I, I right. get that part here. But this is <laughs> this is real inflation when it comes to subsidies here. How do, how do they do this, Greg? Well, it's a combination of things, but you're right. It, you know, one of the reasons we w- drew so much attention to this year was because never before has there been more than a couple, three of these mega, these billion-dollar – this is – we're talking single facilities, Right. More than a billion dollars in some ca- many cases, more than a billion and a half. In two cases, two two billion or more. 
<clears throat> deals. So um, it's a ma- it's a faction of a couple things. One, the the total number of deals, not the big deals, but the total number of deals has been depressed for a long time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the decline of entrepreneurship in this country, which is a, an antitrust issue with Amazon and a lot of other companies. There's just not as many deals for politicians in the chase as there used to be. And mm-hmm. the states are fat right now because of all the um, CARES Act money and Rescue Plan money and Infrastructure Bill money and Inflation Reduction Act money they're getting from Uncle Sam. So a lot of them have but, you know, unexpected budget surpluses, and we think a lot of them are wasting it and squandering it on these huge individual packages, these subsidy packages. Now, don't they have agreements when it comes to a subsidy that X amount of jobs have to be created? And if they are not created, I think Foxcom comes to mind, and you and I <laughs> talked about that. Yeah, there's, there's a good one there, and that was in the state of Wisconsin. But uh, aren't they supposed to live up to those? And then if they don't, the money has to go back. Is any of that happening? So, so most of these deals do have some kind of safeguards where if the company falls short, the, they either uh, lose the money or they just don't get the money in the first place. At Foxconn even, you know, there's kind of two stories really at Foxconn. The local folks are getting really screwed because they put a bunch of money up front that is now sunk and, and tied to debt that they can't undo. But the state said, we'll only pay you every year based on the jobs and investment you do. And this, the company was so late and so very fall shorting uh, on, on the job creation that the state has paid very little to Foxconn and, and uh, isn't going to get hurt. The, this, these deals are a combination of the same thing, too, because some of them involve huge outlays for things like infrastructure up front and land parceling and you know, eminent domain, people getting dispossessed from farmland in Georgia for the Rivian plant, et cetera. Um, and promises by the state that the, as the company delivers, they'll get money tied to the jobs and investment. So it's a mix. But no matter what, who, you know, we're, we're glad some of the money has got some safeguards attached to it. The problem is the, the price is too high. You know, the, the cost per job as we as we got into it, you know, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars per job is there's no pretense of taxpayer break even here. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, I'm reading the average per job cost of these eight massive mega deals is $726,000. But I'll tell you, Nucor, boy, they, right. they broke the bank on this one. Uh, it could be $3 million per job, $3 million per job. Now, I mean, how long would it take <laughs> to recoup that money? They'd have to stay in business an awfully long time in order to get that kind of money back for the state, right? Uh, the state will never break even on that. The state of West Virginia, the local taxpayers there. Uh, the only thing we can say with, with absolute certainty in that deal, and all these deals, frankly, is that there's a huge transfer of wealth going on from taxpayers in Michigan, Ohio, West Virginia, Kansas, Georgia, et cetera, to the shareholders of these companies because – you're right. There's no way the average steel mill worker at Nucor is going to pay $3 million more in state and local taxes over their working lifetime than public services they and their families consume. In fact, the, the state might not even run a surplus at all on those workers. So, you know, it's just a huge gift to shareholders. That's all we yeah. can say for sure. And as you pointed out, a lot of this is uh, like rescue money from the CARES Act, so so the states obviously feel that, oh, well, they, we got the money from the feds, so 
Let's let's give this a shot and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, so be it. And they can say that we tried. But I, I'm wondering where where's the breaking point? I mean, this year was was absolutely ridiculous here. And you also point out too, when it gets over a billion dollars, that's when the risk is really really intense. I'm just wondering uh, <laughs> what the heck is next year going to bring, Greg? <laughs> uh, you know, we hope that'll they'll let up on the pedal, so to speak. I mean, the, a lot of these deals are, as you said before, are electric vehicle deals or electric vehicle battery deals like Panasonic. And we issued a report in September basically saying, you know, electric vehicles are really important and we've got to make sure we have just transition for people that are currently making internal combustion cars to convert uh, to the new technology, especially in uh, Midwestern states that have a lot, the most drivetrain workers, the most people making engines and transmissions. But we've already had 30 years of federal and state policies moving the market to electric vehicles, right? We have all these preferences. We've had a lot of R&D money. We've had fuel efficiency standards that encourage and are soon to force the companies to have a higher mix of zero emission vehicles in their fleets. So gold plating one individual plant is not what's moving the market. That's not why there's long waiting lines for electric vehicles now. That's not why they're selling like hotcakes in many other countries. It's because people policies have been moving people that way, and and other and a lot of people want to do it, and they understand that they'll save money in the long run. So, don't waste your money on on an individual facility when the market is moving rapidly uh, in a good direction. Let's let's use the money to say pre, be proactive about who's going to get hurt. Ohio, Michigan, states like that are very Indiana over, heavily overrepresented in internal combustion uh, drivetrain jobs. Are we looking out for those people now? Because it, it's clear their jobs are at risk as yeah. the as the conversion plays out. Oh yeah, yeah. The UAW is watching that very closely because it takes less people to make an electric vehicle, and the wages yes. in many of these plants they're lower than what they yes. would be in a, with a uh, you know a uh, gas powered vehicle. The other part of the story, Greg, and uh, maybe you could shed some light on it, hopefully somebody mm-hmm. can, is the secrecy. And it's unfortunate because we're using taxpayers' money. Taxpayers should know right. what their money is being spent on. And um, I- I'm reading, I guess, some of these states are, are keeping a tight lid on these these mega deals. How do we turn that around? And why, why, first of all, why are they so secret? Are they embarrassed by what, what's going on here? What's your take on that? Look, um, yes, there's a lot of secrecy involving a lot of these deals. In fact, you know, some of them involved even having special one-day sessions of state legislatures. That was true of the Nucor deal and the Panasonic deal. Um, without the company's name even being public. You know, just using code names and non-disclosure agreements. That was even true of General Motors in Michigan. The Governor Whitmer uh, signed a non-disclosure agreement or an NDA. The companies, I think, realized that there'd be a lot of blowback. The public, they fear that the public would say, "No, that's too much. That's too expensive." You know, cut the cut the costs uh, as as well they should, frankly. And so, you know, it's key to running up the tab on these things is keeping a lid on them until the very last second. A lot of the deals get approved, you know, and are greased and uh, are not, but not formally approved, and therefore still not covered by state open records acts until, you know, everything is greased. That was true, for example, of the the Hyundai deal. Um, Governor Kemp in in Georgia released the information at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. You know, oh boy. after months of um, 
everything else getting greased. So, Greg, I mean, you're doing an incredibly good job here trying to get this information out. What what advice do you have for our audience right now? I mean, these these are done in almost like the dark of night, and they're or, and they're rushed through legislatures. I'm just wondering, going into the new year, what can be? I know you're you're going to continue your mission. I mean, <laughs> let's let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, without you, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. And it's important for taxpayers to know where their money is going. So, what what's the next step here? What do we? How do we force these people to say, "Hey, wait a minute! Enough is enough! A billion dollars, three billion dollars per job—that's going a little too far." What's your What's your yeah. advice? So we recommend some process changes, right? And this has to happen at the state level, and it needs to happen in state legislation. And there's two initiatives going on right now. We're part of a national coalition that's got both progressive and conservative elements uh, called BanSecretDeals.org, which has gotten legislation introduced in some states to prohibit these nondisclosure agreements, to say you, you we can't have our public officials being bound and gagged and and covering up these deals in in the dark of night. Uh, We need to know who the companies are. We need to know what their track records are. We need to know what the cost is. You know, we have that right ahead of time. And then we recommend that there be a 60-day period between the time the deal is negotiated and agreed upon and, and then disclosed fully to the public all the details, all the underlying paperwork before it's legally finally approved. So that there's a really robust comment period, and we know this works. We had a project in New York City that won a, a good disclosure period between when a deal was finalized and when it was legally approved, and it helped the city, frankly, weed out bad deals. Some deals got improved. Some deals got thrown away. Some deals got robust support, and that's as it should be when the public has their right exercised to full information about them. Yeah, makes sense. Well, Greg, thank you so much for uh, you know shedding a light on what's going on in America today in various states. It's called uh, the Mega Year for Mega Deals, the Billion Dollar Subsidy Club. It's amazing what uh, giant corporations, profitable corporations, are getting away with. Goodjobsfirst.org for more information. You take care. Enjoy the uh, the New Year's this weekend, and we'll I'm sure we'll talk plenty more in 2023. Okay, my friend. Thanks so much for covering these issues, Flash. Appreciate it. See you next year. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check in with the Labor Lab and the organization Policy Matters Ohio, talking about wage theft. Until then, all of you have a safe and happy new year. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.